everyone. Welcome to Wrestling at Random. I'm Jeremy Deemer. And I am Adam Summers. You're in Season 5 of Wrestling at Random, where if you've been listening, you know the theme is more wrestling than ever. We've dumped more and more wrestling into the randomizer, more shows, more types of shows. And what that's led to are some off-the-beaten-path promotions that we've covered. While this week's show is not an off-the-beaten-path promotion, it may be the most obscure television show that I know of, at least, from this promotion. We're talking about WCW World Championship Wrestling. I am as big of a WCW fan as you will ever find. I was in real time, and I continue to be now. And yet, I had never seen an episode of the show that the randomizer pulled for us today, WCW Prime. We've taken all the internet's wrestling content. We dumped it into the randomizer. We fire it up. It shows a show that both you and I have not seen. WCW Prime. This is from July 31st of 1995. Um... We've talked about it before on this podcast. Remember, the entire back catalog of this podcast is evergreen content. So if you haven't listened to certain episodes, uh, go on back. It's new to you. It's like it just came out today, just as fresh as ever. Uh, All evergreen content. And we've talked about it in the past here where uh, I dropped out from pro wrestling. I stopped watching wrestling from 1992 to 1996. So shortly after WrestleMania 8, I dropped out and uh, did not come back until uh, WrestleMania 12 in 1996 for uh, Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels. So in between there, that is my dark period where I did not see a lot of wrestling. I've gone back and filled in a lot of those gaps over the years. But 1995 WCW, that was a blind spot for me. (laughs) And uh, so definitely looking uh, forward to getting caught up here on an episode of WCW Prime. Yeah, 1995 WCW was odd. I was watching in real time. It was the one time where I was probably watching as much WWF as I was WCW um, because I hated Hulk Hogan as a kid. Um, I hated Hulk Hogan as a 14-year-old in 1995. Hogan had come into WCW. It had changed completely. Uh, We were in that weird uh, couple-year period of post-Hogan arrival, pre-NWO. And so it's, I mean, this was just coming on the heels of what, Starcade 90 with Hulk Hogan against the Butcher, Brutus Beefcake, as the the main event of Starcade. So it was a rough time. WWF at this time period was... Uh, they were doing those cut rate in your house shows for whatever it was, 15 or 20 bucks. So I was able to finagle getting two pay-per-views a month because those are cheaper. Uh, you can listen to our, our very first podcast ever, by the way, of Wrestling at Random. Where we talk about a 1995 in your house. Uh, but yeah, WCW just had weird vibes during this time period. Yeah, we are so close to Monday Nitro launching. Like, it's it's right around the corner. Yeah, what's and the date of this episode of WCW Prime, just for, this for people's is reference? July 31st of 1995. So we're basically in August of 95. So uh, you are About a month close. away. Yeah, September would be the... At the Mall of America show, of course, would be the launch of uh, WCW Monday Nitro. The Monday Night Wars would ensue from there. This and show does not look... Nope. Anything 
like Nitro era WCW. We'll get into it, but it is a it is bizarre because, like you said, you're about a month away from the start of Nitro, and the the in ring segments, which are pulled from different uh, different syndicated shows, other than the the main event, such as it was. It looks straight out of like 92, 93 WCW TV tapings, complete with the entrance with the purple WCW flag with the yellow WCW logo. Uh, it, it's a weird time. Yeah, this show is not a Nitro equivalent. It's not an A show. This is not a B show. It's not. So you had you had Saturday night was still the A show at this point in time, right? WCW Saturday night. You've got worldwide happening you've got uh yeah the main event which on -hmm. sundays would often in it it was also the case they talk about here on this show when there be a sunday pay-per-view or here on this show they're previewing a sunday clash of the champions main event would be live as a pre-show leading into it so main event was was like a b plus a minus show so here we are definitely in cd territory 100 percent. this isn't even at the level of worldwide or even pro no all of which we've reviewed a worldwide we've reviewed a pro we've reviewed a main event those are all available in the back catalog of this podcast right now and we are throwing uh, a cd show into the uh, back catalog starting today as we review wcw prime our hosts are in studio as the show begins it's chris cruz and dusty Rhodes in studio they run down all the folks we're going to see on this show. And I'm a big Chris Cruz fan. Like, I've heard Chris Cruz call a lot of matches, and I always think that he's a totally fine commentator. I think this might be the first time I've seen Chris Cruz, the person. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I remember seeing him. Uh, first time I think I remember seeing him on camera was alongside Mike Tanay for the AAA Worlds Collide pay-per-view. Uh, he was a, a curious choice to be on with Mike today for that. We should just briefly mention what this WCW Prime show was. I I could not find anything saying that it aired in Europe, but I'm pretty sure this show did air in some places in Europe, which will play into one guy we see on this show later, a repackaged version of it aired. But WCW Prime, uh, it was a WCW TV show that aired on Prime Sports Network networks which are regional sports networks like uh prime sports midwest prime sports northwest prime sports rocky mountain uh empire sports network in western new york all these different uh random uh regional sports networks that were tied together under the prime sports banner we didn't get that here in chicago we had no, no prime sports regional sports network uh so this was a, a real mystery we go to the ring for our opening match, and we get the Macho Man Randy Savage coming out. Okay, I don't think you could start the show any better than 95 Randy Savage coming out. His opponent, Dino Casanova. Dino and Casanova with the lowest rent mid-90s WCW version of an ECW FBI gimmick. Casanova goes to the eyes, but gets immediately cut off. Savage drops him throat first across the top rope, hits the flying elbow, wins quickly in a squash. Macho Man wins easy. It's always great to see a Randy Savage match. Yeah, and a Randy Savage squash to start off the show. Nothing wrong with that. Dusty Rhodes, uh, like if you're wondering what Dusty is like on this show, and you remember uh, thinking back to Sarkay 95, you know, the, 
biggest show of the year for WCW and how off the rails Dusty Rhodes got at points on that show. He is exponentially more off the rails. He knows Crazy. no, no one listening. is no one is watching this show. No one is listening. It's just Dusty being Dusty, which your mileage may vary. As if you're watching me on YouTube, you can see the T-shirt that I'm wearing. Uh, my mileage is high on the side of liking Dusty Rhodes being ridiculous, so I find it entertaining, but it's an acquired taste. Uh, fashion Corner on the building, as I mentioned, it is bizarre to see Randy Savage in 1995 coming out of this very sparse, uh, looking like it's from 91 or 92 WCW entranceway with that old logo. Like we said, this feels a million miles away from WCW Monday Nitro. I'm glad you mentioned the YouTube channel. I think you can see Adam's American Dream Dusty Road shirt. You can see all of the video versions of this podcast. They're posted for free up at youtube.com. Uh, Search for Wrestling at Random Podcast. Give us a subscribe, a like there. It helps us work the algorithm so that other wrestling fans can find the show. So always love the support and the comments. Uh, we love interacting with the uh uh, with the listeners and, and viewers over at uh, at our YouTube channel. So please support us there as well. We go to a commercial break, and we've got commercials on this show. I'm excited. We've got 1995 commercials. We start with Winter Fresh Gum, Icy Cool Flavor, Icy Cool Breath. Some things never change. That's uh, pretty constant. We get an Arizona jeans commercial where people are doing active things while wearing jeans in the desert. This one threw me because I, my notes start to say Arizona tourism commercial. Oh, wait, no, it's back to school jeans from JCPenney via Arizona. Yep, you get them at JCPenney, of course. Uh, and then we're told about this dude who's got an itchy leg, but Robert Von Cream. Robert Perot, who I wonder if he is related to Blackhawks face-off coach Yannick Perot. Uh, I'm going to guess that's no. Uh, but yes, he is scratching his legs at night, and he needs gold bond, which will be a theme for that, this show. Yeah, so let's just note it to yourself. This was an itchy leg that gold bond was able to provide relief for. He ended up going back to sleep. Cool story. And then after this... Uh, <laughs> After the skinny geek works out, he's drinking Ovaltine because it's vitamin fortified. And uh, yeah, this was, uh, I wouldn't think of this guy telling me about what a great workout uh, he got and followed it up with Ovaltine because of the vitamin fortified nature of Ovaltine. No thanks. We <laughs> go back to the ring. Frank Anderson versus Chris Sawyer. Chris Sawyer is gross. He's such a gross-looking jobber. Chris Sawyer is the lowest-rent George South you've ever seen. It oh, just He's greasy and just awful, oh, just hideous-looking. Frank Anderson is his opponent. This guy is a, uh, a big Swedish fella. He's the uh, most Swedish-looking man you have ever seen in a professional wrestling singlet. I have Frank Anderson a little bit about him, if you'd like to know. Uh, I also have some there notes. I'll give, I'll give some highlight notes, and you can uh, uh, chime in if I'm missing anything. But yeah, Anderson was trained by uh, Brad Rangans, who we're a big fan of him on this podcast. 
a man who seemed to make many appearances on this uh, podcast in the first two seasons and then has been away for several years. Yes, Brad Rangans uh, trained him, and he made his debut May in, of 91 for the AWA. My good- birthday. I turned 10 years old when this man debuted. We are, we are soulmates. He also wrestled for New Japan teaming with Reagans. Um, so that's uh, that's the extent of the background I did on Frank Anderson. Yeah, he, he, did, uh, he did a tour for New Japan in 1991. He worked one match for the WWF against Red Tyler in Paris, France. Uh, in 1994, he signed with WCW. Uh, he got upset victories over the likes of Booker T, Stevie Ray, and Alex Wright, and then retired in late 1995 he was a guy that they signed uh he really only appeared on shows that were going to be shown in europe they never really had any designs uh, of pushing him in the states Uh, but it was weird because he would show up on something like this prime which would air both in europe and the u.s Um, and yeah he retired in 1995 let me actually see i've got his career stats up here when his last match was Oh my God, this is Frank Anderson's final match. No, it isn't. WCW. He he defeats Chris Sawyer. Uh, He never, so he did in 1995, he was 7-0, defeating the likes of Chris Sawyer, Buddy Valentine, Dave Milton, Rick Thames, Sonny Child, Adam Flash, and fake Manny Fernandez. Let's see if he had any, how 1994 went. Uh, a bunch of matches. He never lost in WCW. He was like 25 and 0, uh, defeating. Uh, wow, he beat uh, well, it was Harlem Heat when they were Kane and Cole rather than Booker T and Stevie Ray. He beat them a bunch of times, beat Nasty Ned. Uh, but yeah, he he retired in 1995. This was his last match until 1990, or excuse me, until 2014 when he came back and did. Two matches in Sweden, one of which was teaming with Jim Duggan to defeat Anderson and Steinbolt. What a career. This was this was a squash for Frank Anderson. Uh, the highlight of this match for me was Dusty Rhodes on commentary saying that uh, Frank Anderson's weakness is color coordination. Because <laughs> he <laughs> he's got he looks very like 90s gear. <laughs> yeah. I, I, yes, I don't know if we mentioned it earlier. Frank Anderson was, in fact, a bronze medalist uh, in the 1984 Summer Olympics in the 90-kilogram division of amateur wrestling. So that's why they were, why they signed him and why they attempted to push him to, I guess, maybe make inroads in Europe. But it's WCW in the mid-90s, so nothing really went according to plan. We got takedowns by Anderson, a gut-wrench suplex for a two-count, a spin kick, and then he finished with a belly-to-belly overhead suplex, but he didn't, like, release it. He just held on to it and got the pin. This was a strong finish. This was very much a, uh, a Victor Zangiev, Salman yes. Hashmikov uh, type of belly-to-belly suplex. This looked great, which is amazing because he looked so bad for the rest of this match. He did a yes. sit-out arm ringer which is maybe the most ridiculous professional wrestling move I've ever seen. Uh, He was so odd and tentative. There's one point where they're just doing some wrestling, and then uh, Sawyer stands there, Anderson stands there, time stops, and Anderson just 
meekly yells at Sawyer and then backs off and they reset. Such an odd wrestler, such an odd thing that he was ever here. Uh, and, and he is a history note, though. He's a guy who wrestled in WCW on TV who never lost and yet never account, uh, accomplished anything, never amounted to anything. Another weird choice are the musical sponsors of these commercials. Uh, oh you, you'd think that the target market for uh, a lot of these wrestling shows are going to be your, you know, your hair bands, your heavy metal hits of the thing. No, not here. This is Feel the Love, 40 passionate songs. Mad About You from Belinda Carlisle. We Belong from Pat Benatar. Keep On Loving You from Ario Speedwagon. You can get all these hits. Three cassettes or three CDs. I love that we noted different artists each. You noticed the ones I, I said. John Sakata, Wilson Phillips, Richard Marks. I would define this three-disc set as music to get your hair cut by in 1995. This is when he went to Fantastic Sam's and got a haircut. This is what was planned. Yeah, this is uh, every trip to the grocery store yes. that you've ever had. Yes. There's also a commercial for a TV show called On Pit Road, which uh, is some racing show. I would have been hyped for this. This looked like a repackaged version of like a, a, a NASCAR or even more so like full racing world show that would have aired on TNN. It was the same TNN voiceover guy here. Uh, but yeah, I would have been uh, setting my VCR for that as a 14-year-old. We go back to the ring. The WCW TV champion is here. It's the Renegade. He's the WCW TV champion. He's taking on Bobby Starr. Um, I did a little research on the Renegade. Oh, boy. Uh, for a brief period, this man was being groomed to be one of the biggest stars in wrestling. Uh, Dave Meltzer, Wrestling Observer Newsletter reports. Uh, this period did not last long. <laughs> His wrestling career uh, was, hardly uh, was hardly notable. His name was Richard Wilson. In 1995, Hulk Hogan and Jimmy Hart were looking to bring the Ultimate Warrior back to WCW. The same 1995 we're watching this show right now. When Jim Helwig, who's the Ultimate Warrior, he wanted $2.5 million per year, WCW balked. Wendell Weatherby, who was an independent promoter at the time. What else could a Wendell Weatherby be other than either a small-town meteorologist or an independent wrestling promoter in 1995? I would imagine that if, uh, if Harvey Whippleman had signed with WCW in 1995 and they had to give him a different name because of copyright reasons, it would have been Wendell Weatherby. Not only was he an independent promoter, but he also happened to be Jim Helwig, the Ultimate Warrior's personal chauffeur wow. during his WWF glory days. So he knew what was going on in these negotiations, and he suggested a lookalike in Richard Wilson to fill the spot. He was wrestling in the Boston area as Rio Lord of the Jungle, but was very inexperienced. You don't say. Didn't matter. He was brought in, originally teased as being the Ultimate Warrior himself. And I can vouch for that. Watching these shows during that time period, they did everything they could 
to tell you this was the Ultimate Warrior coming into WCW without saying the Ultimate Warrior. It was so much more egregious than even them uh, trying to tell you that the Giant was the son of Andre the Giant. Yeah, they apparently were doing video clips of him in the background, obscured by steam, while oh, Hogan yeah. and Jimmy Hart did promos for a pay-per-view match against Vader. The idea that they were trying to portray was that the real Ultimate Warrior was returning at that year's uncensored pay-per-view in March of 1995 in Tupelo, Mississippi, to be in Hulk Hogan's corner for a strap match against Vader, who was going to have Ric Flair in his corner. Promo pieces with Wilson in the background, dressed to look like the Ultimate Warrior, were enough that the WWF threatened legal action to attempt to kill the entire angle. And this angle was being billed as the ultimate surprise. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yes, this, this highlighted what at the time was considered something of promotional fraud. <laughs> you, something of promotional fraud, meaning promotional fraud. With entrance music made and ring costuming like Warrior had in WWF, he was told to mimic all of the Ultimate Warrior's mannerisms, including no-selling spots, dancing comebacks against the top heels in the company like Flair and Vader on early shows. He had RW on his tights, which was originally going to be his ring name, the Renegade Warrior. But the warrior part of the name was dropped after legal threats from the WWF, which owned the Ultimate Warrior name. I thought maybe it was uh, due to legal threats from Chris and Mark Youngblood, the Renegade Warriors, who we saw in that Clash of the Champions several years ago. The RW stayed on his tights since it was his actual initials for his real name. Uh, but the Renegade was picked from the popular TV show of the same name at the time starring Lorenzo Lamas. So that's how they named the Renegade. The WWF legal department scared the warrior out of WCW and he became simply known as the Renegade. One time at a worldwide taping, they decided to put him in the ring with an experienced star to carry him before losing. That man's name? Steve Austin. Stunning Steve Austin. The match was said to have been horrible <laughs> since Renegade was not ready for a match of more than two minutes on a major league stage. And on this night, Steve Austin was no miracle worker to the point of it being perhaps the single low point of Steve Austin's career. <laughs> this is a man who lost in like five seconds to Hacksaw Jim Duggan. <laughs> Uh, to lose the U.S. title and leave. Yeah, and if, if in 94, 95, if Steve Austin, that era of him, cannot get a good match out of you, uh, the problem is you. His win over Austin was followed up with wins over the likes of Arn Anderson and Paul Orndorff. By the time he won the TV title from Arn Anderson on June 18th, 1995 at the Great American Bash in Dayton, it was already too late. He was practically booed off the beach when he beat Orndorff at the outdoor Bash of the Beach pay-per-view the next month. It wasn't until September 17th, 1995, so a month after the show we're watching here, 
when the TV title was taken from him and given to Diamond Dallas Page in Asheville, North Carolina, in a match that Page did a real good job of carrying. He was never used regularly after that point again. He would die February of 1999 from a self-inflicted gunshot wound. The Renegade, that's, uh, that's his story. It's unbelievable. The weirdest thing, too, on top of all of that, was he would occasionally, he said he'd never be used regularly again, and that's true, but he would occasionally show up as basically a jobber on Nitro. There was a mm-hmm. Nitro episode not all that long ago uh, that we, we reviewed. reviewed that yeah. he was there just as like a completely unceremonious, uh, you know, jobber plus that lost in a few minutes. Uh, that was very odd. He's the TV champion here, and he uh, he chases him around the ring when he comes out. He hits a couple clotheslines to star. He tries a handspring elbow to the corner. The great Muda, this man is not. <laughs> but it's not as bad as you would expect from the Renegade, given how completely terrible he is at everything else. It is a passable handspring elbow. He hits a power slam, and then Renegade goes to the top rope, and he hits a splash off the top for the quick squash. Dusty Rhodes uh, says, uh, quote, he nailed that red-headed kid, hits the splash. He went a half a football league field. <laughs> Thanks, Dusty. <laughs> Dusty had some great lines earlier. He was, football was on his mind because earlier uh, when uh, Randy Savage, when they do the replay of Randy Savage hitting the hot shot on Dino Castanova, Dusty Rhodes said he bounced 150 yards and then said that Savage came off the top of the building with the elbow drop. So as we said, Dusty was just, uh, he was completely amusing himself here. Uh, also, I was amused by the look of Bobby Sarr, which could only be described as bootleg Jimmy Del Rey. That's a perfect description. We go to some commercials. We get a very 90s Skittles commercial. Um, Taste the Jack, rainbow. Jack Nicholas talks about Golf Magazine. That's as exciting as you'd think it is. <laughs> And then we go to the Clash of the Champions update with Mean Gene Okerlund. The Clash of the Champions is coming up uh, the following Sunday, August 6th, from Daytona Beach. The, here's the card for this uh, Clash of the Champions. Ric Flair and Arn Anderson in a handicap match taking on Vader. Bunkhouse Buck and Dick Slater with Colonel Parker taking on Sister Sherry and Harlem Heat in a six-person match. Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff challenges the Renegade for the TV title. And then this match, Ming and Kurosawa versus Sting and Road Warrior Hawk. Yes, Kurosawa was a young Manabu Nakanishi who was on excursion from New Japan, and they had done an angle, I believe, where uh, Nakanishi, Kurosawa, had broken Hawk's arm. Uh, he used the Fujiwara armbar as his finisher. It happened at the end of this match. Well, yeah, at the there end you of that go. Match. Yes. There you go. So Ming and Manabu Nakanishi against the, like, not Road Warriors, but Road Warriors team of Sting and Hawk, which I always enjoyed that, uh, when they would do that during this time period. Because I went and looked to see if that match actually happened. And, and that's when I, I saw the, uh, the angle you described, uh, Dave Meltzer's review. 
One of the worst matches of the year. Negative two stars. <laughs> oh, man. We should also just... Apparently, they for- gave Nakanishi a martial arts gimmick, which oh, yes. he was not a martial artist whatsoever, so it was completely absurd. He was an Olympic-level amateur wrestler, so they gave him a martial artist gimmick because mid-'90s WCW. And I say that again as someone who is in the tank for WCW as you could be. Just to round back to the main event of that Clash of the Champions, it is heel Ric Flair and Arn Anderson against babyface vader who as we were going into the beginning of nitro and fall brawl in 1995 vader was going to be part of the babyface war games team with hogan sting and and uh randy savage i believe and then when lex luger came in the surprise lex luger appearance uh at the first nitro the following week between that show and the second nitro Vader got into the fight backstage with Paul Orndorff and got fired. So Vader never actually appeared on Nitro, but this was the beginning of that like Vader baby face buddies with Hogan thing that was so weird and then it never actually happened. And apparently also on this show, WCW champion Hulk Hogan uh, will answer the challenge of the Dungeon of Doom. It ended up it ended up being Hulk Hogan versus Kamala on that show. And we'll get more Dungeon of Doom coming up after this break. We have promotional consideration paid for by Judge Dredd and Slim Jim. We then get a Judge Dredd action figure commercial where I swear to God, it's Vince McMahon doing the voiceover for this Judge Dredd action figure commercial. It probably isn't, but whoever was doing it was 100% going for that voice. Yeah, Judge Dredd had an action figure line and a video game coming out all at the same time here. We go to a Dungeon of Doom vignette. Oh, God. (laughs) I had blocked this completely, completely out of my mind as a WCW fan. And then the second I saw this, all of this came flooding back, rushing back into my mind. How terrible what you're about to describe was, how they so obviously filmed it uh, at Universal Studios or at MGM. Try your best to explain this. This is going to be hard. <laughs> and what's even more egregious is this is on the C show, which means they have shown this on every show. Oh, they're and proud. They did. They're proud of what this is. Not only have they shown this, this was hyped for weeks leading into this. We had uh, shorter vignettes. If you recall on, was it Slamboree 95? Yes. Where they had Kevin Sullivan out there, and then they had the voices of the master, who was yes. King Curtis Iakea. Uh, that was all leading to this moment. Okay, let's see. How do we do this? So, Chris Iakea, he's all looking spooky. and well, he's King with... Curtis Iakea. It would have been even worse if it was later <laughs> WCW television champion uh, Chris Iakea. <laughs> Curtis Iakea with Kevin Sullivan. They're all Dungeon to Doom up. And in a cave, they're in this they, like very softly lit, uh, like blue light cave. And they're looking at like a in the wall of this cave, there is uh, like a person you can see like muscles cut out of a figure in in the the, the wall of the cave here. And all of a sudden Hulk Hogan falls out of the rocks. And he stands up and he's screaming, what is this place? If you're wondering, by the way, 
is this the gift for this week's show? This is the gift for this week's show. It had to be. There oh, was, was no other choice. There was no choice. The moment this happened, I, I pushed stop and I did the deal. <laughs> it was like a falcon arrow. I did the deal. So at this point, I'm watching Hulk Hogan horribly act, screaming, what is this place in in this lighting, in his full Hogan gear? And, and honestly, if I hadn't already quit watching wrestling at this point i would have stopped at this point this would have been it for me i would have quit after seeing this how could you go on watching wrestling? one of the most embarrassing things i've ever seen as a wrestling fan again also as i was a hardcore wcw fan and an evangelist for the product and this is what was happening it was it's hard to really put into words pre-nwo how horrible Hogan era WCW storylines where this is, it's all of the worst inclinations of Hulk Hogan's creative mind mixed in with Kevin Sullivan, mixed in with Eric Bischoff. It's just awful. Yeah, I I believe I texted you after I watched this and I said, this was my dark period and I chose correctly <laughs> to not be a oh, wrestling you fan did. during this period. I um, will be on my deathbed and I, among many other things I'll be thinking is, what could I have done during the time that I was watching this instead of doing something productive? So then there's this a fake explosion, like a horrible fake explosion. And the that giant sends foam, emerges. foam bricks flying towards Hogan. He falls. He disappears into the ether. And as you said, this is the first appearance. This is the first time we ever see on WCW television, Paul White, the giant. The giant screams that he's the greatest giant and he's the one that's immortal. This is one of the worst things I've ever seen. That's the end of the vignette. What horrible. This is so bad. I like I was embarrassed to be a wrestling fan watching this now. Like oh, just yes. awful. Awful. One hundred percent. You also didn't mention uh when Hogan is you know, he's walking up to and bowing up to to King Curtis, who's the master, and Kevin Sullivan, who's the taskmaster. Kevin Sullivan grabs some like big bow staff, and then he's just he's backing Hogan up. He's walking toward Hogan, and Hogan's like backing away. And then that's where Hogan ends up in front of the exploding wall. This people talk about uh the Sid Vader Sting Davy Boy Smith boat vignette or Cactus Jack lost in Cleveland. Neither of those are even close to as terrible as this is. I'm glad you mentioned that because people do not bring up how horrible this is enough. This no. is way worse. This is way worse than some of that stuff. Like I think this it's is just really bad. Maybe it's because like with Sting and Vader, like the exceptions, oh, it should be cool. It should have been great. Or uh, you know, Cactus Jack, everything Cactus Jack does, everything Mick Foley does is great. How that's, is he involved with something this terrible? Here it's 1995 Hulk Hogan mixed in with the Dungeon of Doom, but still, it's so much worse than you could imagine, even with all those players involved. I can't believe that they watched this. They edited it down. They said, this is it. And they said, ship it. This is great. Like, I I, I want this to air on every single television show to build my main event program. Yeah. Unbelievable. Well, in this Hogan Dungeon of Doom storyline went on for like at least half a year. Like, this goes deep into 1995 
Monday Nitro, like you, you would be forgiven. Well, it was happening thought, well, in '94. If Starcade '94 was uh, the the Brutus Beefcake, that's uh, true. That was the beginning. It was the nascent period. Yeah, because you had also on that show the Shark, who we'll see momentarily, John Tenta, in I believe at least his big match WCW debut against Randy Savage. That was those were the co-main events of Starcade '94, bringing us into 1995. Thank. God, we get a palate cleanser. Uh, Arn Anderson and Ric Flair are with Mean Gene, and I needed this to bring me back to being a wrestling fan again. <laughs> uh, Ric Flair goes off, and he's just offended that Vader would want to face them two-on-one. Couldn't agree more. Uh, Flair and Anderson, uh, they were completely spouting the truth here. I loved it. Arn was great seeing the Colorado Air makes you make rash decisions. And that's what you have done, Vader, by agreeing to this match. This was like, it was by the numbers, Flair and Iron, but Flair and Iron by the numbers is so great compared to anything else on this show. We go to a commercial where uh, a gentleman is suffering from heat rash. But good news, he solved it with Gold Bond, medicated powder. Uh, So many purposes for Gold Bond. Yeah, so itchy legs, check. Heat rash, check. (laughs) Uh, and good news, the reason it's medicated is because it uses zinc oxide, Adam. That is how Gold Bond works. We uh, we get a uh, like a as seen on TV infomercial type of commercial where the the guys are. Well, would you go fishing with a lawnmower? Then <laughs> why would you cut your grass with fishing wire? The Weed Terminator is an attachment for your gas trimmer that uh, that's what you need. So this is a commercial for the Weed Terminator. We go back to the ring where the Dungeon of Doom is coming out. It's the team of John Tenta as the Shark teaming with Kamala in full Kamala experience. And they're yeah, accompanied this is, by the Taskmaster, uh, Kevin Sullivan. Stealthily become a Kamala podcast. Like, Brad so Rangan's out, Kamala in. Their opponents, Terry Morgan and Tom Torres. These guys are such geeks. It's delightful. The jobbers on this show are pathetic, which makes me very, very happy. Uh, as the Dungeon of Doom tag team enters, Dusty says that not combined weight, but each man weighs 900 pounds. Uh, he then starts singing a song, like an entire song, some old country song. I don't know what it is. Dusty's just singing this over the commentary. Uh, I noticed that Shark is wearing a shark tooth necklace. Uh, I just feel so bad for John Tenta. He was awesome. He was a great professional wrestler with a great legitimate athletic background, and his entire career was in terrible gimmicks, never being allowed to reach his full potential. Earthquake was a totally fine like he had a good run he got his run with hogan and everything they got the he got a natural disaster he got a pretty long run for wwf like heel hogan heel gets fed to hogan kind of thing he had a pretty long run after that uh he he did pretty well but man in wcw this this shark thing is just so weird like what a weird gimmick like why he he was great he was really good he was always like a cool wrestler because he was so big and so agile and he could do a lot of things athletically for a just a giant fat guy but like 
Here, he's still gigantic, but he's just called the shark. And like, it's so weird. It's very, very lame. I guess my my sadness with John Tenta is that the only real long run he had somewhere uh, with any success or is being presented in a decent way was in the WWF, where it really doesn't matter what you are as a wrestler. You don't really get to show it. Like John Tenta was a Bam Bam Bigelow Vader level talent as a big man in that era, but he never got a you know a, a run. You know, he, he started his career in all Japan, but he never really got that sort of run in Japan or didn't get a, a WCW run like he would have wanted. Like John Tenta, if he had come in as just John Tenta or some other less ridiculous gimmick in pre-Hogan WCW, uh, run and rough shot with Vader or against Vader would have been awesome. Yeah. Didn't he show up in that horrible Piper segment, which was like he the was, worst segment in Nitro history? He was the one actual trained wrestler in that segment. And he was the only guy that kind of got over in that never-ending segment during uh, his little sparring session with uh, with Roddy Piper because he was a star. People hadn't seen him before. Uh, you know. And then after that, he would show up uh, in the WWF, I believe, as Golga in the Oddities. That's right. Definitely. So, yeah, just never really got the run post-Earthquake that I think he deserved. Torres tried a clothesline. It had no effect. Kamala's doing chokes and strikes. Torres gets rammed headfirst into the chest of the shark. I like that move. Yes. And, uh, and I'm watching this squash. It's kind of boring. This is very punch-kicky. And uh, Dusty Rhodes is cracking me up, though, because he's can't stop talking about how fat Kamala is. Dusty Rhodes is talking about how fat Kamala is. Yeah, I believe he had both a pot and a kettle uh, with him in the uh, in the broadcast booth. Uh, Shark hits a big, like Randy Savage, giant Baba style neckbreaker drop clothesline uh, that that gets the win. My takeaway from called the shark attack. Yeah. The shark attack, very creative. Um, these guys together, granted, not necessarily the shark gimmick, but. John Tenta doing some sort of gimmick and Kamala being Kamala in the mid eighties as a territory tag team sure. would have been awesome. Like I'm imagining this tag team in world-class uh, in the mid eighties going after the Von Erics and it would have been great, but here uh, it's 1995 and it's just not working. What else isn't working for me? No Northern exposure here from uh, John Tenta. He's, he's the guy who, made it famous with the earthquake and uh, yeah very I didn't get it here i got a shark attack instead not cool yep. why do you have john tenta on your roster <laughs> if he's not doing that particularly you could do some cool thing where like kamala hits the kamala splash and like as he's hitting that uh earthquake tenta is bouncing off the ropes and he hits it you know a little bit of a power and glory type of deal there and no we didn't get that mcdonald's is giving away a trip to the 96 olympics and with uh, the most ridiculous ridiculous commercial you've ever seen this like middle-aged guy is just flipping through the air like what is what is this solo flex is selling machines too they're they selling to machines out. it feels more like they're selling sex though yeah they which, have that's correct <laughs> two versions of this commercial one with a man one with a woman and it's this very suggestive breathy voice saying you don't have to be 19 to have a body like this you don't have to be narcissistic or shallow. All you need is $39 a month in 1995 for Solo Flex. Robert Parker is with uh, 
Bunkhouse Buck and Dirty Dick Slater. These are your world tag team champions, but they come out with no belts because we've taped things out of order here in WCW. Yes, just be thankful this isn't one of the t- uh, the MGM Studios or Universal tapings. Uh, but yeah, no belts because you, you can't uh, you can't spoil stuff, I guess. Uh, the, the intro is basically Buck and Slater and Colonel Parker coming out to the ring. Well, Dusty makes fun of Chris Cruz for not being invited to the Buck Snort party. Their opponents are the Nasty Boys, and they came out to their awful Nasty Boys theme song. I've already played it on this podcast. Does not need to be played again. Uh, I believe that go back to that Slamboree 95, yes. and you will hear in full force the uh, the awful Nasty Boys theme song. It's all nasties early, and then we go to a commercial where a dude is talking about fishing with his grandpa. It's a commercial for Field and Stream magazine. Uh, there's a show about Trans Am racing. Yes, SCCA, Trans Am racing. So Prime Sports Networks. Again, I think they were very closely tied into or had access to all of the TNN uh, like shoulder programming for motorsports, not the actual races, but all the programming uh, about it. Dusty was on fire uh, in the opening part of this match talking about filibuster and talking about clubber and in the corner, four fisted. I uh, always love Dusty saying that. Also, Fashion Corner, I don't think anyone would have had on their bingo card, on their list of what type of shirt would Dick Slater wear. Yes, it was a cutoff shirt. It had no sleeves. That That is not surprising. This shirt had three howling wolves in the forest on the shirt. This is quite the look for Dirty Dick Slater. This match is boring. I was bored out of my mind watching this match. This was well, the, terrible. The tag team division, the tag team title scene in World Championship Wrestling at this point in 1995 was the tag team champions, 30 Dicks Slater and Bunkhouse Buck. Here also, uh, we see their opponents, the Nasty Boys. Harlem Heat were in the mix, as were the Blue Bloods, Lord Steven Regal, and Bobby Eaton. Out of all those teams, those four teams, the only one to not hold the tag team titles were Regal and Eaton. What are we doing? Oh yeah, this was this is not good. They knobs uh, teased the tag a few times, but kept getting cut off. Uh, Slater tries a sunset flip, but knobs drops down, and we f- we get a northern exposure in this match, but not in the match that had John Tenta in it. Who would have thought? Brian Knobs would bring us the Northern Exposure and not the Earthquake. We get a hot tag to Sags. Stinger splash in the corner from Knobs. He hits a power slam. That is very kind to Brian Knobs <laughs> calling that a Stinger splash. I would call that a running pity city. Sags comes off the top with an elbow drop. The ref counts two, and Colonel Parker hits the ring with a cowboy boot for a lame DQ in a lame, boring match. I hate it. A, a calfing boot, which called back to Dusty Rhodes earlier, mercilessly make fun, making fun of Chris Cruz for calling this bull rope a calfing rope. Uh, it, it it was uh, it was some hazing, some trial by fire throughout this episode uh, for one Chris Cruz. We get a Butterfinger commercial. We get uh, two high schoolers fell in love because they both had five star gear from Mead. Sorry, well, they were. But, uh, they were clumsy. It, the theme of this was a beautiful girl was accident prone. She bumps into an accident prone young boy. 
and somehow their love is a commercial for five-star school supplies? I don't get it. No, if I see Mead Star Supplies, uh, Mead School Supplies, I'm not thinking five-star gear. I'm thinking Trapper Keepers. That's my I was generation. just I was just gonna say Trapper Keeper, or if you were a a middle class to lower middle class family, you had to get the off-brand Trapper Keeper and hope it did the sleeve didn't rip. Yeah, Trapper Keepers forever. Uh, I kept my Rose Art crayons in my off-brand Trapper Keeper. We get a commercial for Lost in Love. This has 36 soft rock hits, Adam. 36 again, soft rock for your wrestling fans here. 36. So this was different hits. than different. the one we saw earlier that had 40 hits from yes. the likes of Richard Marks, John Sakata, etc. Yeah, this one comes, you can get four records, two CDs or two cassettes. <laughs> it's funny because this falls between modern times where vinyl has come back and the first vinyl explosion to the time where like nobody was getting records except for on things like this like i'm shocked they weren't shilling 45s while they were at it we go to the prime match of the week dusty is mooing and i have no idea what he said but it was great <laughs> i yes, loved every whole, bit of it the whole thing was that the prime match of the week was the one exclusive match for prime everything else you'd see on this show was cold from, as we said, pro, worldwide, Saturday night, main event, etc. Dusty, at the beginning of the run of WCW Prime, had made the decision himself that Prime meant Prime Cut, which meant beef, which meant he must moo whenever he says Prime uh, leading into the match. It's just delightful, Dusty Rhodes. The match is Big Bubba, the former Big Boss Man, Ray Trailer, Big Bubba is here to take on Mark Starr with two R's. Yes, Mark Starr, who would go on to fame, if you can call it. Really, I, I remember Mark Starr for two things, one of which most people remember, which is Mark Starr teaming with a young Chris Canyon as Men at Work, the construction-themed yes. lower mid-card tag team in WCW. Prior to that, I remember Mark Starr from a match on WCW Saturday Night with Rick Rude, where he... No sold a Rick Rude clothesline or a, a forearm or something. And Rick Rude just decked this man, shot on this man, and nearly killed him. Mark Starr is the real-life brother of Chris Champion of the New Breed, who also wrestled as Yoshi Kwan. That is uh, Starr's brother in real life. A favorite of this podcast when Yoshi Kwan. Big Bubba always throws a good-looking punch. Love watching that here. And he's also great at selling. Gives Mark Starr a couple of uh, spots to shine, and he does such a great job of selling as well. Big Bubba, always a, always a good watch on this podcast. He was awesome in this match. By far, spoiler, by far the best thing we see in yes. the ring on this show by a wide margin is Big Bubba doing Big Bubba things throughout this match. He is crisp. He is intense. He is quick. He is mean. I, I just, he's one of those guys that as a kid, I didn't appreciate as much as I do now. No, and we, whenever we see him show up here, we always uh, look at his fluctuating weight scale, and he is yes. very heavy here. Uh, he's uh, sweating hard and working hard uh, in this uh, squash match. He hits a boss man slam called the Bubba Slam here. A huge boss man hit. slam. This is like a, it's an elevated boss man slam that's like a spine buster. It's almost like the Takeshi Rikio Muso. Like this is a, 
I don't know. I'd like to see him do more of this. I love me some Big Bubba. It immediately made me think of that awesome Big Bubba Sting match from 1995. The lights out match, right? Yes, that was yeah. tremendous. There was so much more meat on the bone for Big Bubba Rogers in 1995 in WCW than we got. We get a Levi's commercial showing a playground, and I saw the merry-go-round, and it made me laugh. I was like, what year did they get rid of those? It was still a thing in 95, apparently. <laughs> yes. uh, the most dangerous ride on the playground. Oh, my <laughs> God. I'd rather go on a roller coaster without a seatbelt than go on those metal uh, merry-go-rounds in yes. your local park district playground. Jesus, I can't believe any of us are alive. We get a commercial for clear gel antiperspirant. Uh, it's cool because you can click a button. You don't have to twist a thing. Yeah, I actually am a little bit angry that this uh, this technology did not catch on. The three clicks to get three different levels of the uh, the gel deodorant out. This seemed like this was useful. And then uh, we hear about a guy. He's got foot itch. So we've had leg itch. <laughs> we've had heat rash. And now we've got foot itch this time uh not athlete's foot they were very clear about this this is just foot itch and uh good news get ready gold bond gave the itch relief again i wonder if gold bond had been threatened litigation uh, of our previous commercial promising relief from athlete's foot but said they had to be very very clear that it was just foot itch we go back to dusty and cruz to close the show they tease us by telling us that DDP versus Dave Sullivan will be on the show next week. <laughs> next week's main event, I assume that's the Moo Prime Cut of the Week. It is Dave Sullivan, Evad, uh, taking on DDP. This is like still DDP in his lottery winning slash losing his winnings era uh, post-Battle Bowl victory. Uh, we also are told that we will see Kamala in action again next week. Uh, in case you saw him in a, a tag match and said, I want to see that man in a single, you'll get that next week. Also, Harlem Heat in action, Johnny B. Bad, uh, Mark Alexander Bagwell, and other luminaries. We talked about it. Best thing on this show, Big Bubba. Oh, 100% Big Bubba with an honorary mention to Ric Flair and Arn Anderson cutting that promo and oh. seeing Randy Savage at the beginning. And what a palate cleanser I yes. needed by seeing Ric Flair and Arn Anderson. Thank God. Because what if they weren't there? What if it rolled in? What, what would have been the next thing? So you would have gone from that without Flair and Anderson. You would have rolled right into the shark and Kamala coming out. And I would so have you, like, I would have turned this, quit the podcast. I would have quit the podcast right there and been like, this is it. I can't, I can't do it anymore. For direct storyline progression purposes, that may have been more logical. <laughs> But I could not, after having watched that entire skit uh, oh. of Hogan in the Dungeon of Doom in the cave, uh, going straight to that. No, that, uh, that was terrible. I think we can both say without any equivocation that the worst thing on this show and maybe the worst thing produced by any major mainstream yes. wrestling promotion that we've ever seen. And we're not including TNA weekly pay-per-views because that's no. neither major nor mainstream. But WWF, WCW, anything like that. It had to be this Dungeon of Doom, Hogan, Cave uh, sketch. Horrible. Yes, that is by far the worst thing. Um, honorable mention to that awful tag team match with the Nasties and Bunkhouse Buck and Slater. That was also terrible. Way too long. There's a, a special spot in hell for tag team, <laughs> tag team matches like that. We've reviewed too many of them on yes. this podcast that are mid-card TV show tag matches. All this, I guess, was for the tag titles. 
Uh, but that just no tag every... titles were not on the line oh, okay. in this match. This was what? if the Nasties won, they might get a shot down the line, which is also completely ridiculous. This was a WCW proving ground match, <laughs> I guess you could call it. Um, yeah, this was atrocious. Uh, well, that's the but thank God, honorable mention too for Dusty Rhodes and his tremendous performance. Dusty Rhodes carrying this show on his back. Honorable and, mention on the positive side, not on yes, the negative side. No, on the positive side. Thank God. I couldn't have made it through this show no. if it was like Stagger Lee Marshall or somebody. I no, mean, if like, this was Chris God. Cruz and Lee Marshall or Chris Cruz and Larry Zabisco <laughs> oh guiding us through this. We needed Dusty. Dusty was all of us. He had to amuse himself to stay sane through this hour. And in doing so, he brought smile to our faces as well. This was WCW Prime. I don't ever need to see another episode of this in my life. But I will say that at 42 years old as we record this, a lifelong WCW fan, the opportunity afforded to us by the randomizer to watch a WCW TV show, not an episode, but an actual TV show that we had never seen before. Uh, that is why we do this podcast. Absolutely. And if you want to find out what shows we're watching here every single week, we release that. Uh, you, you mentioned the GIF on social media. That's the best place to see all the fun stuff at Wrestle at Random on X or Twitter, uh, Threads, Blue Sky. We're on all the socials. Follow us at Wrestle at Random. Uh, you can also support the show via our Patreon, patreon.com slash wrestling at random, where there we put out a bonus episode of this podcast, something completely different. You have not heard it. It's over in the bonus feed. We do it every single week over there. And so we'll tell you also on social media what show we're going to be reviewing, what just went up on the bonus feed usually. And uh, yeah, we've got a lot of uh, great stuff from our listeners uh, there. You can subscribe, get all the bonus content. You can also be the randomizer of the intentionalized tier and request shows for us to watch. All that's explained over at the Patreon, patreon.com slash wrestling at random. And we mentioned at the top the YouTube channel. We really need your help. Uh, we, we were looking for people to uh, go out and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Search for Wrestling at Random Podcast. Give us a subscribe there. And uh, that's where you can see the video version. If you want to see Adam and I talking about the podcast, that is the best place to do it. And with that, we are going to wrap it up. We're going to call it a podcast. Adam, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Jeremy. And as I said, thank you, Randomizer. One is all we need, but we got it. WCW Prime is in the books. Hopefully we get something a little bit more entertaining next time. But hey, as we always say, bad wrestling shows make for great podcasts. Thanks again, everyone, for listening. And we'll talk to you again next time.